1: I think we've decanted for long enough it's time to sit back and enjoy two sharp reds with mark schwarzer and ollie gill
0: yes welcome back to another episode of the two sharp reds with myself on the gill in australia's third favorite sun and also this week third favorite silver fox which will make Mark schwarzer very happy mark the cheese is out you've got a portuguese wine and it's a, it's a big episode for us because we'll do the normal discussion points from the weekend in the Premier League but I also uh, want to discuss your favourite moments and my favourite moments in the decade because we're coming to the end of the year and the end of of 2019 and it's a beautiful moment for everyone.
1: It is, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think we've got a lot to talk about um, in terms of what happened over the weekend plus Like you said, our favourite moments, uh, iconic moments
0: of the last 10 years, which will be very exciting to talk about. Speaking of icons, um, a lot of people are enjoying your pronunciation of European wines. So what's the bottle we're going for this week? Well, it's a Portuguese wine, and it's Costello do Vintero, uh, a
1: 2016 Douro. And what I really liked here, actually, is at the top of the high Douro, lying close to the Coal River, lies our beautiful vineyard, which is divided between vines and, nature, and a nature reserve, a haven for rare species. Wow, what and sort of species? Actually, I'm in the company of a very rare species, <laughs> well, I might add, <laughs> just
0: looking at um... my mullet. So as you pour this glass of wine, this looks very reminiscent of almost a Ribena. It's, uh, this looks quite sort of fruity, it's still pretty dark, but you can see through it. Um, Is this a sort of, I mean, I don't think I've had it. Did you say it's a Doru? A Doru, I think it is. A Doru Doc. A Doru Doc.
1: I do like a Portuguese wine as well. Do you? Yeah,
0: I found some really good ones. Have you got a house there too or is it? Leave it. Right. I'm getting nothing. I'm getting zero on my lips. But I'm getting everything on my throat. It's sort of is a bit peppery for me. Yeah, I have to agree with
1: you. I think it is spicy, and I think you're right. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to get it on my lips anyway. Normally it just goes down straight to the back of my throat. So I don't know what you do. I don't know if you actually rub your
0: lips all over it Well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Are you? So let's discuss what happened to the Red Devils on the weekend because they did drop points at home. They drew one all to Everton, which was a great result for, for the Toffees and also Duncan Ferguson in particular. But, Mark, there was a moment in particular that I think that Every Everton fan must have been talking about when Moise Keane was brought on, and then after I think it was eighteen minutes, it wasn't long. He no, came it, off again.
1: It wasn't, and uh, I feel for him. I mean, that's a that's a big call. I, I, you know, we've seen it happen before. That sort of stuff has happened, um, and and Jose Mourinho has done it. We've seen it over time, but generally, a player's been on for longer. That that can happen most of the time when a player comes on early in in the first half because of an injury. And then maybe get taken off later on in the game, and mostly because they've put in a real big shift, yeah, and uh, or they want to change things up tactically, they need to, to have done it like he did, Duncan Ferguson, and I'm not buying his excuse after the game.
0: No, because he said that what that um, he just wanted to waste a bit of time
1: by yeah, making the substitution. I, I I don't think he thought about it. I don't think he th- he went into that that press conference thinking or or the interviews thinking that that's one of the questions that people are going to ask me straight away. I, I just don't think, I think it was a little bit naive in his, his, his sort of okay. department. I think he, he was caught up in the emotion in terms of the, they've got a great result away at, at Old Trafford. And he went in there a little bit head in the clouds and, and his response I thought was very, very unconvincing. I think he's got, he's got a bug, in his bonnet about uh, Moise Keane, something about it. So whether it's training, whether it's, the effort, you know, and obviously that's probably why he took him off. I don't think he think he. I don't think he thought he put in a big enough effort, big enough shift, when he when he came on. You could see there was a couple of moments there. Duncan Ferguson's remonstrating on the side of the pitch, you know, mm. screaming, shouting, running, throwing his arms around for keen to get back and help in defence, and he was very very slow in trying to get back, um, and I think that was just a. a I think that was a, a a point of saying, you know what? I'm the boss. I'm going to show you now. I'm ruthless. I'm going to take you off. And that's something about Duncan Ferguson. wears his heart on his sleeve. He's mm-hmm. someone that gave everything, ran ran his socks off, ran himself into the ground, and he challenged everything. And I think he was a case of right. This younger generation. I'm going to show you.
0: A lot of people are saying, you know, how embarrassing. And to a, to an extent, for for Keane, it is a bit embarrassing. Did that sort of? I mean, it's kind of hard to compare. Your position of goalkeeper to, to an outfield player because it's very rare that you see a goalkeeper being substituted but from memory did it did it ever happen to you or something similar in my career there was a couple of moments i think i only was
1: substituted about three times in my career and they were all due to injuries so uh, a couple of times for the national team and, and once with with uh with fulham uh, sorry with uh with middlesbrough and, and that was due to injury. There was one time, actually, a pivotal moment in my career, 2005 World Cup qualifier against Uruguay at home. So I played the first game. Back at home, we're 1-0 we're, we're up, so we're equal on aggregate. And it's and it's coming towards penalty shootout. And as I look over towards the sideline, I can see um, you know, Zelko Kalak, the reserve keeper, warming up. And I just thought, That's a, that, that, what's going on here? Like that, I mean, straight away, I just went, it can't be serious. Can't be seriously considering taking me off. Because obviously... When you're playing, you're thinking, "Why are you going to take a goalkeeper off? Like, there's no way in the world is going to take a goalkeeper off. If you're leading up to a penalty shootout. We've seen it in the past. Managers have done it. We've seen it since then. Managers have taken goalkeepers off and put another goalkeeper on. We saw it at the World Cup with the Dutch side. They did it, and they did it successfully in one of the one of the penalty shootouts. And and funny enough, when they couldn't make the substitution for the next penalty shootout, they actually got knocked out. Yeah. Um. And then uh, so. It has worked in favour in the past, but for me personally, it would have been devastating. I, I don't know if I would have been able to come back from that. So, what
0: actually happened in the end? So, he didn't come on.
1: Uh, no, no, he didn't come on. So, I'm, I'm. Listen, the game's playing out, and we've got a couple of minutes to go before the end of extra time. So, it's going to be penalty shootout, and you know that you've got a substitution still to make. Uh, you've got one up your sleeve, and I'm, I'm, I'm just lucky. I'm fortunate that Brett Edmonton went down with cramps. All right. And could no longer take part, so the manager was forced to, to 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 substitute him, and that's the only reason he didn't make the substitution. And uh, and and I, I, like I said, I at the time I was just like I couldn't believe it. And then when I saw Brett Emerson come on, I go off. I thought, right, great, that's done, that's over with. But I'm thinking this as the game's going on. Yeah, so we're not even there. And yet. How how long? What, what point of the game minutes, do you reckon? A Couple yep. of minutes. So literally, it would probably have been. Around the sort of the 117 118 mm. minutes uh, so yeah it was it was pretty it was pretty um, it was a bit of a shock to me well a massive shock to me really and I was just thinking I was saying to myself I remember I remember it now I'm thinking he can't this can't be serious he can't be doing what I think he's going to do and uh, like I said I don't know if I would have come back from that I don't know if I actually would have played for the national team again. I don't, I don't, I don't know I don't know how that, old were you well, I was 32, mm. so it just would have been devastating for me. It's like you know, it's not like I'd not been in a big pressurized situation before. I'd been in penalty shootouts before, um, uh, you know, and been and and won them. I played for Australia and won a penalty shootout in a World Cup qualifier. Whereas Zelko hadn't, and he hardly hardly played any any club football. And so, I mean, that that's a that's a thing that that kind of went on as well from that. So there was that feeling that that Goshtenk just favoured him. Just liked him, preferred him over me. As it turned out, apparently at the time he never fancied either of us, but he definitely fancied Zilko over me. But he had to play me at times. But I think because I played those qualifiers against Uruguay, then he had he couldn't re- replace me, so I would play a part in us qualifying. And then all of a sudden, I think it was a case of well, he's playing every week, he's been playing, and I'm going to go with him. And then and then the World Cup, the rest is history. You know, there was a moment where he, where he made the change. And funny enough, I bumped into to Gus. Only uh, a week or two ago. No way. Yeah, I bumped into him. Actually, unfortunately, it was at uh, Pim Verbeek's funeral. Right. And the first thing he said to me was about, he was actually there with his wife, and he turned to his wife and said, wow, he said, I I only made a couple of mistakes in my career. And he said, one of them was when when I replaced him for the game against Croatia. Wow. So I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay. I mean that, that's that's a that's a massive statement. He goes, I didn't make many mistakes in my in my career, I don't think, but he goes that one definitely. So it was a, it was a big statement and 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 one that I kind of I want I actually wanted to elaborate on more. I actually wanted to go into the conversation mm. a bit more, but I thought you know what this is not the time nor the place. And you know what the guy respect you know. He felt that it was that it was a need to say something
0: maybe he's been listening to the podcast and he's heard your comments could have maybe who knows I'd love um, to get him on yeah it'd be brilliant no,
1: he, listen I, you know, he's he's mellowed also in his older yeah. age so he plays a lot of golf He's enjoying life um, and you know I think he still tends the odd the odd football match here and there um, but he's enjoying life so which which is it
0: was nice to see him um, and it was nice to to hear what he had to say. Okay, so speaking of goalkeepers, uh, something caught my eye, not in the Premier League, but on, uh, on the weekend in the Bundesliga with, I suppose you'd have to say, one of the worst tackles you've ever seen. It was Alexander Nubel, uh on Eintracht Frankfurt's Miat Gasinovic. Now, that was, if you've not seen it, Mark, how would you describe what happened? How would I describe? <laughs> that, that's assault.
1: Right. Yeah, it's assault. It, it's horrendous. It is. I mean, in Germany, all the talk is about, you know, it, it was bringing back flooding memories of, of Harold Schumacher's uh, challenge on, uh was it, Battiston uh, back in 1982, the French, uh, French midfielder uh, during the World Cup, uh, which, funny enough, funny enough, amazingly, um, the time, the, the show of the time, it was not even a yellow card wasn't wasn't a
0: free kick was nothing it was actually a goal kick um, we were watching was, it were, it was amazing that not even just that they weren't even complaining to the referee no it, they, was, it was just a business couple, as usual
1: couple of uh, people said something initially but then afterwards no 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 one was remonstrating with the referee there were no calls for for Schumacher to be sent off nothing it was incredible just shows you the type of challenges that were kind of permitted or allowed to to happen in those games um, but this is up there this is this is, I mean, it's horrendously dangerous. I mean, he's gone through full force with a karate kick, with studs showing. Mm. Um, how Gusinovic how actually gets up afterwards, I mean, I think he gets stretched off, uh, or I'm not quite sure if he gets stretched off or not, but he's actually seen, I think, you know, he walks off. He actually walks off the pitch. Um, and I've seen pictures of it since, and he's got this massive big graze down,
0: down his sort of, I think it's his left side of his chest. Yeah, looking at it now, you can almost... see his right side of his chest. You can literally almost see every single stud. Yeah. Like it's that's gone into his chest.
1: Yeah, that, that's, I mean, he's going to be really, really sore. I mean, I'm surprised. Apparently, I was I was listening to the, the press conferences and the initial diagnosis is that it's just bruising. So there's no broken bones. There's no nothing. I mean, the, the, the challenge is, you've got to see it, it is horrendous. Um, and, I mean, they're, they're calling in Germany that, that uh, Neubil gets a, a really
0: lengthy ban for the challenge. And understandably, because it was that bad. Goalkeepers have been known in the past for, for some pretty brutal tackles in particular. What, what are you trying to say? No, no Nothing. You've not...
1: Uh, I, I've, no, I've been sent off once in my career, but not a, not a dangerous challenge. It was just a... Actually, that's a debatable challenge anyway. It was at home against Newcastle. He's running away from goal and I'd gone down. I actually didn't... I, I barely touched him, if at all, and then he dived and, and they won a penalty. So I get sent off. They score the penalty... Literally, I don't know, 10 minutes later, we go up the other end, exactly the same thing happens. Shay Given's in goal, and the referee awards a penalty and gives Shay Given a yellow card. And it was just like, but that was the thing, Newcastle always got the rub of the green in the northeast. Yeah. They were always favoured, whether it was the awards, whether it was to do with refereeing decisions, everything they always got in their favour.
0: You don't have to tackle um, to hurt people, you use words. I've been at the forefront of that and, <laughs> and I would have plenty some, of red cards on hand. Some if, would
1: say that you're just very, very sensitive.
0: And, and you know what, I,
1: I have to agree, it's the new age, it's the it, new generation the so, snowflake generation, so, so, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, snowflake. Absolutely, you, you are a snowflake.
0: Well, what I thought, moving on very quickly before I melt away, um, is one person in particular was was uh, compatriot Mark Bosnich on Jürgen Klinsmann. That was different. Didn't use his leg, but certainly driving force just ran straight well, through him.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of it's that that is more the the uh, Harold Schumacher challenge. The, the difference being is the timing. So Harold Schumacher was very very late. When he, when he took out uh, Bastion, it was it was horrendous, really bad. With Bozzo, it was really, really close. I, I I just think it was just a timing thing. There was no intent. Of course, when you go through as a goalkeeper, you've got to protect yourself a little bit, and he knows there's going to be a confrontation or, or, or an uh, impact. But I don't think, as bad as it was, and it knocks Klinsmann out, and he has to go to hospital and everything else, I don't think there's any intent there at all to hurt him genuinely, whereas Schumacher, I think there was. Uh, Neuble, when you see it, there's no no doubt whatsoever that he's just gone. Right, I'm going to go through him, and it, and it brings back memories. You kind of think about other other sort of challenges that happened, particularly in the Premier League. And one of them was uh, Roy Keane's challenge on Alfie Haaland mm-hmm. when he actually was a career-ending challenge on him. It was th- it was that horrendous. Um, the other one was Ben Thatcher on Pedro Mendes. Mm-hmm. So with Ben Thatcher's playing for Manchester City uh, at the Etihad. And as uh, Portsmouth clear the ball, uh, Pedro Mendes is running towards it before it goes at the touchline. And Ben Thatcher, he runs. And there is a there is a picture, there is, sorry, a footage where you can see from the angle where you can actually see Ben Thatcher's face. And the determination and the snarl on his face, and Ben Thatcher was renowned for being a little bit of a, uh, so you know, let's just say, a bit of a dirty player at times okay. on the pitch and, and, and very, very brutal in his tackling. And... He, he just lines him up, and then there's a swing also of his elbow and completely KOs him, and it's horrendous. And I remember he did get suspended for, I can't remember exactly how long, but he did get quite a few games, and there was outrage about the challenge. Horrendous. Um, and then and then the other one, which, funny enough, uh, it, it's a footballer involved, but it ends up with a fan, Eric Cantona, the most famous Amazing, footballer, right? I think. Amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you see still, when you still see Fridge of that challenge now, you still go, did that really happen? Yeah. Is that like, wow, I remember, I remember when that broke. I remember the, it was, it was splashed all over the world, all over the, the, the TV, the media. And I remember it was just like, oh, that can't have been possible. That's not for real, is it?
0: If that happened in 2019, what happens to Cantonar now, do you think?
1: I think there's a, well, I think he's going to have criminal charges against him. I mm-hmm. think the
0: police would be involved in everything. There's no doubt to me that that would happen. Because there's a massive discussion that I've always been fascinated with when you you more see it in other sports that are a little bit more uh, you know, high contact and, and a bit more physical, that where you go, no, 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 that's not a bad tackle. That genuinely is assault. You know, if this was to people at a bar or at a, at a restaurant, meaning in the middle of the street. That absolutely would be a but in the context of sport. But when you're breaking that boundary between player to then fan, surely that has to be like all of a sudden the context in this imaginary world that is sport goes out the window. Yeah, it's changed a lot. And I think in the past that was very much the case
1: that kind of stuff that happened on the football pitch was kind of allowed to stay on the football pitch. But these
0: days, and it also it ended people's careers. Half-time drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. And, Mark, I've got to say, it's the second week in a row that we've gone for this cheese as well. And, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm half tempted for maybe next week to be the, the Two Sharp wheels of cheese. I'm enjoying it more than the, the wine at the moment. <laughs> I've, I'm, I'm almost at the stage of just asking you really long-winded questions so I know that you can speak for five minutes straight and I can just nibble away at the cheese. It's great. That's pretty standard these days, isn't no, no, it? Absolutely. Yeah, no, the cheese is beautiful. What do you think of the wine, though? It's... uh. Relatively underrated in a way, in the sense that uh yeah, we're you know trying to choose what we wanted to drink. We had an Australian wine last week, so we thought we'd go for something different. Didn't really know a lot about it, and I'm really pleased with it. Yeah, I really like it. It's
1: it's an easy drink. I I, I find it pretty pretty smooth, and uh, I'm enjoying it. It's there's not a lot of aftertaste. There's no. No bitterness there or anything. It's like you said. There's a there's a bit of spice there. Yeah, but not
0: too heavy. And I think it, it complements the cheese really well. I'm really excited because we're we're approaching Christmas time, and this will be. Uh my second christmas but i arrived last christmas day in london so it almost didn't really count i was too tired but i'm really looking forward to it because did you have anyone to celebrate when you arrive back in christmas day yes from then? i just i'm,
1: I'm, listen, I'm just want a sob
0: story maybe people will feel sorry for you or maybe I'm trying to get people on side you know? yeah well that's true but actually what if i say no one did meet me so then will you invite me to your ski chalet for christmas i'm not going to a ski chalet for christmas are you not what no. do you call it
1: I'm coming here. I'm, a, I'm not mad. Are you at home? I'm at home for You're Christmas. coming back from the ski chalet? I mean, no. Well, not a chalet, no. I'm staying in a hotel. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> skiing next week. I am. That's one of my many trips to go skiing. Because I do love skiing. Many. Oh. Yeah, I'm trying to, make a, you know, trying to make up for lost time. Yeah, now, well, that's true. You know, I haven't, I haven't been able to ski until, like, well, this is my fourth season, so... Well, you would have had time off when you played in Germany, because they have a
0: winter break, don't they? Yeah, they, they do.
1: Um, the, first, the first time I ever tried skiing was in Germany back in 1995, and uh it was uh what a, what an experience that was uh, the skiing world's all changed a lot since then so the, the the equipment that you use is very very different and it's actually definitely easier to learn to ski now than it was back then i believe anyway um so i did ski for one season and then then we were booked to go on another si- uh, ski trip and uh, I made the move to England. So then, once yeah. you made the move to England, that's it. Uh-uh. There's no more skiing going on because you play obviously through the whole yeah. festive period, of New Year. And there's not a chance. I know. I know of a couple of players who sneak from right? the continent <gasps> who were off for whatever reason, whether it was a suspension, whether it was just they were given a bit of time off because we had a lot of running games that did maybe sneak off and go a bit of snowboarding or a bit of skiing. What? But these are guys who have skied all their lives. Okay. So they're not. They're not guys that. You know, just taking the sport up. These, these are guys that seriously know how to ski. They've been, they were, they were, the minute almost when they were born, they were up on skis. So I, I don't really have a problem with that. What do their names rhyme with? Is one um <laughs> Schmidt I really can't reveal that one. I think that's a bit, that's a bit too much. Um, Schmidt and Schmeichardt? No, but they're, they're, they're um, yeah, they're guys that, that uh, grew up pretty much very close to the ski slopes and knew how to ski. So are you going, my question is, are you going to be trying mulled wine? Uh,
0: well, I actually went to Windsor Wonderland during yes. the week. And I, I saw so. to... I saw your pictures on social media. Yeah, thanks for liking it. Yes, um, I did. Uh, did you? Yeah, I oh, respect you. Are good yeah. for a like. Yeah. You are. You are surprisingly good. You like one of you know, like someone's auntie that you go. No matter what, they'll like it. So you're real. That's a compliment. You just you're good yeah, for I'm a like. I'm not really
1: sure if that's a compliment or not. Like,
0: no, you're just consistently being. Do you, so in... do you
1: base like. So do you get worried that people? Not many people will like your pictures. Is that a worry? Because my kids are like that. They're like, they're <laughs> saying to me. Dad, like, you've got so many more followers than me, but I've got, look at how many likes I've got. Like, eight or nine hundred. Likes yeah. compared to mine. I don't know, two hundred and fifty. Yeah, but your two hundred and fifty are good quality likes. I'm not sure. Uh, they oh, are they? Am, am I just a bad? Am I just a bad photographer? So no, well, I not actually post really
0: good posts. That's probably what well, it is. It actually, That's probably more like it. No, but it's funny. Like I might get a really good mileage with with a certain post and get some good likage But we're talking mom, sister, girlfriend. Yeah. You got a big family, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Looking yeah. at yours, you might not get the numbers. But we're talking John Terry. Hello. You know, you've got some good quality content but, but coming through. But he's
1: very selective as well in, in, in what he likes and what he doesn't like. Tim Cahill's very selective. Wow. Well, If you get a Tim Cahill sele- uh, like, you, you've you've obviously got something major. Wow. Yeah. There has to be something major. He doesn't like. He likes very few things. I think I've probably got one like ever from, from, from Tim Cahill. Well, you
0: know what this means. I'm going to... Clip this up and we'll post it on social media tonight. Yeah. And we'll wait. It's Tim K who'll watch to see ha- if he Harry, likes Harry,
1: it. Harry, K Harry Kuhl as well. He's, I think, he's liked maybe once or twice of my posts. Yeah, the controversial. Yeah, you know, I know, I know.
0: I've got to have a word with him. I'm yeah. not happy. As I mentioned, it's coming up to Christmas time. We're also coming up to a new year, the end of a decade, the start of a new one, which is extremely exciting, but also just quietly very terrifying at the same time. So, Mark, it's a, it's a good opportunity to, to have a sharp red and really discuss and try and remember, if we can, without Google, please, uh, some of the best moments of the last 10 years. Because on the way here, I was thinking about some of the most iconic um, moments in world football in the Premier League. And you just... I mean, 10 years, as we know, is a long time. But, geez, a lot's happened in those 10 years. It has. And
1: for me, the very first... Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com
0: slash trip for free
1: shipping and 365-day returns. Moment that I can remember, iconic moment of this decade, would have to be 2011-2012 season, the way in which how dramatic the end of the season was. Manchester United went away to Sunderland, needed to to win the game to have hope of winning the Premier League title. Manchester City were at home to QPR. So you've got the Manchester rivalry, the two fierce, very fierce rivalries and it comes down to this last game. Manchester City are at home to QPR and QPR go into a 2-0 lead. And Manchester City, Manchester United, sorry, that the fans are celebrating and the way it all unfolded and how dramatic that Manchester City's comeback was. They get it to 2-2, but 2-2 still wasn't enough. Manchester United were winning the, the Premier League title again, and um, so the, the game in Sunderland finishes a, a, minute, a couple of minutes, minute or two, before the Manchester City game, and you can see there's some celebrations going on at Sunderland with Manchester United fans and some of the players. They're not; they're, they're, they're kind of thinking that it's over, where they're not really sure, and then all of a sudden, there's. I think firstly they think they've won it, and then there's this news filters through that Manchester City have actually snatched a winner very dramatically. Sergio Aguero does that. He goes on this amazing run through the box, and he smashes it into the, into the near post, and the place just goes absolutely ballistic, wild. Manchester City win their first ever Premier League title. And and on top of that, even better to add, you know, add the icing on top of the cake
0: is that they do it ahead of their, one of their fiercest rivals in Manchester United. It has to be the best end to a Premier League season because I find some people can be critical if they like the sport but are just trying to really force themselves to get into it. They can be critical in Australia where other sports, say AFL, come down to this one big day. And And I suppose to an extent that's why the FA Cup and the Champions League so so exciting to watch because you get that final. But that day was a final in itself, wasn't it? It was just... As you said, there were so many different little storylines attached to it. And you physically, if you sat down and wrote what could have happened that day, it couldn't have gone any better.
1: No, it couldn't. And I remember watching you know, the match of the day, all the highlights, reading all the press afterwards because of just how dramatic it was. You know, Obviously, you're playing at that time and you're more worried about your game and where you're going to end up and everything else. And um, it was more about that. And then the minute the, the, the final whistle goes, you go, oh, who won? Who, what happened? And then all the stories start flooding in and everyone's just like, wow, what a performance. What, a, what an end to to a, a campaign. And just the celebrations. Obviously, yeah. the heartache up in Sunderland for Manchester United and, and their fans. For Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson's face, I can still remember it now. And then the, the, the celebrations Back in in Manchester with with Manchester City, the wild celebrations, the running around. I remember Joe Hart when they scored that yeah. winner, you know, running around with his arms spread out. And it was just insane, like a bit of like an aeroplane sort of movement around, running around. It was no Mark Schwarzer celebrating uh, no. World Cup qualification, though. No, definitely not. No, that not. Was... He wasn't
0: wearing a vest no. or a singlet or anything like that. <laughs> that was badly fitted as well, though, I might add. That was um, that was probably the best uh, Premier League winning moment. But in terms of the most iconic over the decade, I think it's impossible to look past what Leicester City achieved. It is so incredible, and maybe even. Mo- Maybe more so now, at looking at what they're somehow able to achieve currently, it just puts a bit of a spotlight onto to Leicester and what they're doing. It's just so incredible. And and there's one photo in particular that I've I've put on social media, so uh, have a look at, at OptaSport or at Gill. you'll see it. This was probably my favourite picture from the celebration. And it's uh, just zooming in on uh, Mark Schwartz's face up the back there as as Claudio Ranieri and Wes Morgan lift the Premier League trophy. But that was, honestly, for anyone associated and also anyone not associated, that has to be the most iconic moment almost in Premier League folklore. Yeah, it was
1: insane, really. Um, to, to win the Premier League title for a club like Leicester City, I mean, listen, the bookmaker's 5,000 to 1. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how that's how unrealistic it was. And it still is almost like when, when if you told someone... Who knows a bit about football but actually for whatever reason was living in a dark cave and didn't know that result for that year that leicester city had won it they'd be just saying you know come on yeah i'm not stupid mm. that's just that's impossible um yeah it was and to be to be in that inner circle that inner sanction and and to see it all unfold was pretty surreal um and that picture that you just showed me that that zoomed in picture i mem I, I remember it very very clearly, and that was one of the most awkward days I've ever had <laughs> what was that yeah, because you know obviously i didn 't play any games, so you you have to play a minimum of five games to get a medal, and the way they do it, I found really kind of i, I don 't I find it distasteful the way it was done is that the guys that didn 't win any uh, didn't didn 't win a medal you get called out firstly and you go and stand on the side of the stage you don 't even go on the stage you get called up right. all the players that have played all the games or enough games get called up onto the stage and then as the trophy's just about to get awarded, then you join them and it 's kind of like you're part of it, but you're the spare guys that kind of just – and, it, and it's, it was like being a staff member. I can only imagine wow. – that that was my imagination of what it's like to be a staff member. Like, and, and and technically you are a staff member, yeah. but you, you're a playing staff, whereas, I mean, I'm talking about the rest, the staff members, because they are on the side. They form a uh, – you know you form a kind of a, uh, a tunnel, and you, the players come through. And for, for, for a player and, – and I felt more even for, for a lot of the guys that were with me that had played like four games – there was a couple of guys that played only four uh, games and didn't did, weren't, weren't going to make the five obviously so that's that's pretty demoralizing and then so f- and because i never i never played any games i never really felt part of it i enjoyed it it was amazing and i felt privileged to be part of that squad but for me i'm like people say you have know, won the premier league twice well i haven't cuz i haven't played in so you genuinely games. don't consider that you've no, won no, the premier not league at all. Really? no 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 if you see anything that I'm, I'm with, that I put on myself or anything, I never say that I'm a Premier League winner. I never, ever. I've done things where I've gone on TV and people say, oh, we're going to announce you as this. I go, well, I'm not a Premier League winner. No, no, no. You can't do that. Even I'm, with I'm, Chelsea? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chelsea was only here for six months. I was even less involved. <laughs> I wasn't even on the bench for a Premier League game. So that, 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 I have nothing to do with them winning the title. With Leicester, I have a little bit of, an, uh, of a part. I play a little bit of an like tiny, tiny bit because you you know you're you're training with people, you're talking to people, you're using that experience as much as you can to try and help players more so defenders. You give them little tips. You watch the game. You kind of say, "Oh, by the way, I noticed this. Try this," you know. And I did it once with um, Danny Simpson. Mm -hmm. He wasn't in the team earlier on in the season, and uh, he was really frustrated, and we were training, so he was training with me a lot. So you know the stiffs against the eleven. Sure. And uh, and I I would say to I would pull him aside before we started the game, and I'd say to him, Simo, listen, this is what you need to do. In my opinion, you're getting caught all the time. Players are getting around you. It's too. It's it's sorry. Getting sorry. Turning inside you, coming inside you too much. When you come inside, you they open the goal up, and there's a massive big gap. You don't know where to come to go. What are you doing? So I said to him, close the gap to come inside. Show them down the line. I said you're quick enough and you're good enough to to make it up i said don't just move to the side and let them run past you find the balance close off that that run that he can make inside go to say to him go on go past me try and beat me down the side and he started doing it at training this in this particular game this training and he turned to me and went wow that works and i go of course it does similar you're quick don't dive in. Stay on your feet. Only dive in if you know. It's the simplest things. But what happens is we very rarely get taught or, or, or we very rarely get reminded about the simple things. Coaches think they have to remind people or teach people the most complicated things. Sometimes you've actually got to strip it down and say to someone the very simplest, simplest things of defending. And he, he got more and more confident. And he played the odd cup game and played well. And he was very rarely being bitten, beaten. And from that point onwards, he went from strength to strength, made his, made his way back in the team, and he didn't ever look back. And bearing in mind, at the beginning of that season, he was, he'd agreed to go to West Brom, hmm. and the club pulled the plug last minute. Claudio Ranieri was happy for him to go, and the very last minute, the club pulled the plug, plug because they, they needed cover. They wanted to make sure they had enough cover, so they, they got cold feet and they decided not to let him go. And within a short period of time, he found himself back in the team. So there are moments like that that I feel, okay, listen, I, I, I played a tiny part in just giving him that little bit of confidence, a little bit of instructions. He has to do it all. You know, he did it all. But you, you play that little bit of part and you feel, okay, that was cool. You know, he, he listened because he was willing to listen. Mm-hmm. He, wanted to, he wanted to learn. He wanted to, to work hard. He was desperate to get back in the team. And throughout the season, there were moments where I just would remind him or I'd say to him, Sumo, that was brilliant. See what you did. You did exactly what we were talking about. You did, you know, what you've been doing. This is why. And there are occasions where he got beaten. And I go, Sumo, and he go, yeah, I know. I wouldn't even have to say it. He go, yeah, I know. He beat me. He got in- I gave him too much inside. He came inside. So it was simple things like that. So that aspect of it, I felt, I felt good. But the rest of it was kind of like it feels very awkward. And and I, I actually got one picture with the trophy, and it was my kids came out with me on the pitch. They only came out. Because they knew how awkward it would have been for me if i were if I were there by myself, so they they kind of took one for the team for me, and they came out with me and stood out there with me and uh yeah it was listen it was it, it was like it was like you're in you're in the middle of it, but you're you're not even really there because you know guys are They've accomplished so much. They played in the game. They won against all of the odds. It was an incredible story.
0: How do you compare the celebrations to to from Chelsea to Leicester? And were you or were you not invited to Jamie Vardy's party when you were watching uh, whether or not Leicester would win or lose?
1: Well, firstly, at Ch- I wasn't at Chelsea anymore when they won the Premier League title. So I was there for the first six months and then I signed for Leicester. So that whole thing, and, and, and Jose Mourinho was brilliant because he invited me to... Uh, be a guest to come to their game in the league cup final they played the league cup final in in February at Wembley and invited me along uh, as a guest which was which was fantastic my wife and I went and uh, it was great and then after the game you were in the area where all the players came through it was nice to see them all and it was it was a great and that was the start of their season really in terms of winning silverware and he often used the the league cup as Mm -hmm. a target to go right we win this that sets the the wheels in motion. That puts us in such a great position. We're confident and we're moving forward, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna build on it. And they did, and they went on to win the league. So I, I saw it from afar. So with Leicester, it's very much hands on. You're involved and you're there and you're watching it and you're on the bench and I, mean, I sat on the bench for 37 out of 38 games. So it was it was like I said, I had a front row seat, uh, but very little involvement. Was I invited to Jamie Vardy's party? Yes, I was. But I I was living, I'm, I'm, I'm living down in Southwest London, so it was a long trek. I had an apartment in in Leicester, but it was a, I think it was a Tuesday night. We weren't playing until the following weekend, and we were off the next day. So I was like, no, I'm going to be back home with my family. We were doing major renovation works, and I was kind of like, no, I need to be back home. So I watched the game at home here with my family on the sofa. And in disbelief, really, because obviously Tottenham take a 2 0 lead yep. against Chelsea, and that was a Monday night, actually, yeah. And it was like, can't believe this, you know, can't believe that. Firstly, I can believe that they're winning, but I couldn't believe how they let it slip. How the second half, they just literally imploded on themselves, and then they lost everything, lost their shape, lost their discipline, and everything else. And 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 that moment, you kind of thought, this is this is going to. I mean, obviously they we won. You know, Leicester won the title off the back of that. And it was just a confirmation that everyone, other than Tottenham and Tottenham fans,
0: wanted us to win the league. Yeah.
1: They just didn't want Tottenham to win it.
0: So you're telling me, just to just to sum up, you said no to going to a party at Jamie Vardy's house because you wanted to do renovations. No, no, no. No,
1: there were renovations going on in my house. And I wanted to make sure I was at home, you know, to, you know, we had renovations going on for like two years in my place. And
0: I then signed for Leicester and, you know, it's kind of like... I've never been more angry with someone. (laughs) Do you know how many things I'd say no to to be able to go to that party?
1: Yeah, listen,
0: you've been to one party, you've been to many. Oh, listen to it.
1: You know what, it was an amazing... Like I said, that, that goes back to the whole thing of I was part of it, but I never felt really
0: part of it. What about Frank Lampard scoring against Chelsea? That'd have to be up there. Yeah, is it a, iconic? Because um, again, this doesn't have to be the best.
1: It, or, surreal. it was surreal. Uh, it was surreal. It was definitely attention grabbing. It was. It was just so. It was going to happen. It was. I, I remember the game. Actually, that was a game I was on the bench for as well. And I remember it was. It was just written in the script was, that yeah. it was going to happen. And and I think Jose knew it. I think Frank knew it. Before it all happens, it's almost like it was played out. It was, it was like, a, like I said, like a script, and it happened. And I remember sitting there, just going, it's "So obvious that was just going to happen." It was so obvious that he's the one that's going to score. Um, yeah, but you know, and I, and I think, I think Jose Mourinho struggled with it for a long time, mm. and and their relationship took a real big. I mean, firstly, it took a massive big hit with him signing for Manchester City because. You know, I think, I don't know how the whole conversation went, but I think the understanding was that he's going to go to America and play for, you know, in America, and that's it. So there's not going to be any conflict. He's not going to go play for any other club in the Premier League and definitely not for one of their rivals. And all of a sudden, through the back door, he ends up at Manchester City. I can understand why Frank did it. Mm, Totally. Because my understanding was that, that, that Chelsea were more than happy for him to go. It wasn't as if they were very forthcoming in trying to retain his services. I think they were pretty much happy with him leaving and for him then to, to, and, and, to, to prove people wrong. I think there's doubters, people saying that they're past. It happened to me in my career when I left Middlesbrough, when I went to Fulham. I had so many doubters. I mean, I remember the goalkeeping coach at the time, Stephen Pears, was, was, uh, he took over from Paul Barron. Paul Barron had just left and went to Newcastle, and Stephen Pears, uh, who played for the club, who was in the academy, took over for, from uh, being goalkeeping coach to the remainder of the season. I remember the very first training session we were doing, um, a couple of drills, and all he was saying was, oh, his legs are okay, he's, he's fine. I'm going, excuse me, what's wrong? What are you saying? He goes, oh, no, no, nothing, nothing. But I knew what he'd said, and I was kind of like, ah, now it kind of all makes sense. Because I remember speaking to Gareth uh, about it, because obviously Gareth was the manager at the time, And my contract was running out and he was saying well you know i've spoken to the club and they've got concerns about you know your age and you know and i said gareth what's the concern i said look at my look at my history look at my injury record look at the amount of games i've played i mean if you think and i'm not playing well anymore that's that that's a different thing that's a matter of opinion but no one was really that honest with me Mm. and uh it just Firstly, it, it makes your mind up. It makes the transition pretty easy. I was at the club for nearly twelve years, and I, and I, and it run its course. I think it ran its course with vast majority of the fans. I think they were happy for me to leave. In the end, the way that the club portrayed it is if I was just going to leave and I was I was greedy. I wanted more more money, and I was being greedy. That's why I left. But that wasn't the case. I left because. I had a club in, in Fulham who believed in me, a manager who believed in me, a goalkeeper coach who believed in me, and they offered me a two-year contract because that's how much they believed
0: in me. And the best thing was I went there and I proved them all wrong. Mark, unfortunately, that's pretty much all the time we've got left here on the Two Shut Reds. It's been a, uh, an enjoyable bottle of, of wine. Again, do you mind uh, trying to pronounce this if you just pop your, pop your gogs back on so you can read uh, the name of it? But it's the... It's a Duro... Doc 2016. Puts goggles on and puts his torch on just to really... Oh, you're such a pain. You're... No, it's true. I'm just painting a, a pain. word picture.
1: It's a Castello do Vintero uh, 2016 Duro Doc.
0: Aha. Uh-huh. And uh, an enjoyable bottle, I think, by the end of things. Um, I've not struggled as much as I have. I think the last two weeks i struggled a little bit trying to, to name a player. This bottle of wine reminds... Uh, us of um, so why don't you start? What are, What are you thinking? What how, how are you feeling with the wine? What, what's it doing to you? Well, I suppose the difficult thing, and the enjoyable thing, is by doing this every week, you need to come up with more ideas to to be able to compare. Because I, I think it's tough to just be like, oh, you know, it's it's explosive or it's or it's fantastic. So then you know that's Leo Messi. You know, you, uh, I'm exploring different evoking motions. So. This week, I'm going for the fact that it was a bottle that we didn't really know an entire you know amount of. you know We just sort of pulled it out and went, that looks pretty good. It's Portuguese, so I'm going for a Portuguese flavour. But the back of the fact that we didn't really rate it when we were getting it out, but now tasting it, it's pretty good. It's pretty decent, and I think it deserves to be talked about a lot more. Uh, I'm also just... Pretty much exclusively getting the flavours at the back of my throat. And it's going left, right, up and down and all all sorts. So I'm getting nothing up front, all down the back. So I'm going for a goalkeeper. I'm going for a Portuguese keeper. I'm going for Rui Patricio. Okay. Wow. What do you think of my thought process there? As I said, taking a risk. I'm just changing things up a little bit. But I think the whole picture of it right now... Uh, I think it's a pretty much
1: it's a safety one because it's a Portuguese you've I think you just had no clue you're gonna talk about and then all of a sudden you went
0: Portuguese wine who got Portuguese yeah I think you're just trying to give yourself more time to think of someone. No, I've got someone already. You went, you went, you made me go first. You no, only no, no, ever no. do that when no, you don't. I did.
1: Know. No, I did, and I, I just wanted to mix things up a little bit, but also wanted to buy myself a little bit of extra time. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And and uh, I, I'm going along the sort of similar lines as you. Yeah. So this this bottle of wine, obviously, like you said, it's a it's a Portuguese wine. It's one that we we knew very little about. And uh, it, it could well be, uh, I think it's a good quality wine. I think it's still a really good quality of wine. It's not, you know, it's not your, your top, top class, not world class, but it's a, it's a good quality wine. Like I said, hints of spices in it. So at times you get, you get some, some kicks, you get some excitement out of it. Uh, otherwise, it's pretty, pretty regular. Um, with that bearing in mind, I'm going to compare this bottle of wine to a player who was... European midfielder of the year a couple of years in a row, two years in a row. Um, he's a neighbour to Portugal, so he's Spanish. Played with at uh, Middlesbrough, Gaisca Mendieta. So when we signed him at Middlesbrough, he was no longer that European midfielder of the year. So he, he got
0: that twice, did he?
1: Yes. Wow. Two years in a row, he was voted yeah. in the European midfielder one of the one of the European midfielders of uh, the uh, team of the year, mm. and uh, he's. Uh, you know, when he came back to when he came to Middlesbrough, he showed there were there were moments of 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 class, of of moments of of technical ability. He went, wow, that that is that that could be that that was brilliant. And then there were moments where you thought, okay, I can understand why he's chosen Middlesbrough or where he, where his path had gone. So he went from Valencia to Lazio for thirty two million pounds at that time back then, and that was just. It was insane. And I think we got him for free. We got him on loan for a a couple of years, firstly. And then we, I think as long as we took over his uh, contract, then we got him for free from Lazio. So he kind of, it was at the back end of his career, even though he went on to play, I think, for another four or five years at Middlesbrough. He was was hit by, with an injury and and needed a knee reconstruction. So, but like I said, it it was, he was a, he was still a good player. Mm. And for Middlesbrough, he was one of our better players, so that's how I would relate this to the wine. He's, it's a wine that's a good quality wine, and there are moments where it gives you it gives you a bit of a, a bit of a kick, a bit mm-hmm. of a, um, an extra sort of spice to it, where you think, well, oh, that's 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 really nice, and that's really that's really good. And then that was case Mendieta. There were moments. I remember we beat Manchester United, and he scored two on the night at home, and he was brilliant. And other times, he was just okay.
0: So cheers, Mark. Uh, here's to a great bottle of wine. An enjoyable episode. And uh, I suppose I should say Merry Christmas. Well, not quite. No, I'll no, save it. We will speak to ourselves. it. We'll speak to each- ourselves. We'll, we'll speak, speak to each other beforehand. Have a, we'll have a word with myself.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.